I'm Erica Powell. And I'm Shelby Bitework. And, and this, this is, is Windows. Windows. Hello, and welcome to Windows Into. We have a great podcast for you today, and I'd like to get started right away. We'll be talking about imposter syndrome, but before we get to that, I'd like to have our two guests introduce themselves. Kabibi, would you start? Sure. Hi, this is Kabibi Springs coming to you from Atlanta, Georgia, and I'm with the sales team, uh, Workplace Wellbeing Knowledge Lead. And Melissa? Hey, I am Melissa Steech. I am with um, the Wellbeing no- Workplace Wellbeing Knowledge Lead team, and I'm out here in the West area of the U.S. Great. So I'd like to start off right away and ask, what is imposter syndrome? In your own words, can you explain it? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> right. Go ahead, Melissa. <laughs> I'll take a shot, right? (laughs) Not feeling impostery today, let me say. Um, But in my own words, imposter syndrome is your perception that others think you're more competent than you actually are at fill in the blank. That's a good good definition. I would define it as kind of similarly, the internal perception or feeling that you don't measure up against whatever room you're in. And that varies socially, professionally, otherwise. So as we talk about imposter syndrome, Melissa, let's start with you. Can you share a little bit about how um, you've experienced imposter syndrome? Oh gosh. You know, it's funny because even in thinking about this podcast, I started to look at my career in general uh, through this lens, I'm like, wow, I've been really, this is actually, if I think about it, maybe it has been a syndrome for me because we all have doubts. And I think that sometimes we forget that because imposter syndrome right now is such a popular topic. We want to ascribe a syndrome to everything, and we all have doubts, right? And it's if you let it turn into a syndrome. So to get to your question, yeah, for sure. I could think of several several different careers because I've had a few um, careers. And at pivotal moments where I um, self-handicapped and basically withdrew because I literally did not feel good enough. And looking back, of course... I think, how arrogant of me. I thought I was so much smarter that I knew something that nobody else could see. Everybody else who are experts in whatever field that was um, thought, hey, this girl is ready or she's got what it takes to do the thing. And I was so friggin' arrogant and filled with feelings of being an imposter that I thought, no way. I'm just, I'm a con artist. They don't know. There's no way I'm good enough, ready enough. I have to go get another certification. So yeah, I could think of, <laughs> I could think of many different points within my careers. I think that's sort of the way this topic started, Melissa, was you and I were chatting one day um, about feeling that way. And I remember the woman who hired me into this company who I thought was amazing at her job and knew everything, a me- certainly a mentor to me, we were walking one day and I was commenting on how well she had done in a presentation. And she said, I just keep waiting for them to find out. I don't really know what I'm talking about. 
Mm. And it floored me that a woman of her caliber, uh, a senior leader here at Herman Miller would think that. So when I heard you say it, um, it sort of sparked in me. I think this is an issue, you know, whether you have a PhD Mm -hmm. or if you're, um, you know, a senior leader in a shop floor role, we all have this feeling like, when will they figure it out? Kabibi, I'm curious, have you sort of either known someone that had the feeling or have you experienced that feeling yourself? So I was just thinking while Melissa was sharing, like, when did I first start to feel that sense of, I'm not sure I belong in the room? And it actually came much later in my career. I think early in my career, I was just very boldly brazen and had also been in an academic environment where you know, from a, as an African-American woman, I clearly did not fit into the, the compilation of the population. And, but I knew I'd earned my seat there. So I had a very different way of going about life. But as I progressed professionally, I would say around the time that, you know, I started to escalate in my career and, um, you know, up my game to different levels in the organization. And most definitely as an entrepreneur, that's when I started to have a lot of doubt because it was very green territory for me and I had no blueprint for what I was supposed to do. So I would find myself in situations quite frequently where I just felt like I know on the outside, it looks like I know what I'm doing, but I have absolutely no idea what I'm doing, but I'm just going to go with it. So Khabibi, you talked a little bit about like the entrepreneur side. Can you talk about like what that difference was for you? Um, so I remember there was a moment um, when I stepped out to be an entrepreneur, I actually was in um, collaboration with some people that I had worked with in corporate America. And so in corporate America, you have your clear titles and your hierarchy. And then in this world, we were all technically kind of on the same level. Um, But there were still assumptions that some people knew more than others based on what you knew about their professional career prior. And I found myself in these moments where I would defer to someone else's expertise, even though inside I maybe felt like that. I don't think that's the right decision for us to be making. Some of these were collaborative projects. And I would acquiesce to whatever the the seemingly most uh, knowledgeable person in the room or the person who seemed to have more experience or at least more confidence in the way that they were delivering what we should do. And I learned the hard way that by not speaking up and saying what I thought, we ended up down some really disastrous roads um, and had to like clean up some major messes. And ironically enough, those who stood up boldly to say what they thought we should do did not stand up boldly to help clean up the messes. So (laughs) um, it it was a lesson for me that if you think that you have the right answer, it doesn't matter really who's in the room, always say what you think and state your case. I think that's so powerful in the the believing in yourself and and really being able to to state your case and, and, and know that if you're in the room, there's something somebody saw in you or you saw in yourself, depending on an entrepreneur, corporate America role, that you've got it to be able to be able to say it. But I think in the moment, it can be hard to be able to do that. I think, you know, to, to this point of this conversation, like the thoughts are in your head about the doubt or the... Um, it, and I don't even know that it's always confidence, right? But it's just these conversations, these stories that you make up in your head sometimes. Um, and that feeling of, 
Um, when are they going to figure out I, I, I don't belong? It's hard when you're in that mind frame to be able to really voice, voice your opinion. Um, Melissa, following up on that, do you have any um, thing you want to share along those lines of ways that you've been able to, to examples of maybe um, when you've been able to overcome that? Yeah, you know, there, there are several things. And, and it's funny because there's some things that work and then there are some things that I think um, I'm trying to work on finding a healthier way to make them work. So in the past, what I would do when faced with a certain situation, and to Khabibi's point, in areas where I had some sense of... Um, confidence. So like the difference between confidence and insecurity is that like self-esteem and confidence is how highly you think of yourself, right? And then the security is how stable that confidence is, right? Which is insecurity is how unstable that is. And so when I unpack that, I think I'm someone who's naturally imbued with a lot of confidence, but I don't know that I've always been very secure. I would, I would wager a bet that if we could um, Christmas carol me, we, I would see that probably a good portion of my life has been wavering and in insecurity, right? So there's this confidence that's not as stable all the time. So what I would do in the past is that I would somehow um, engineer myself into between a rock and a hard place where I was forced to perform, like whatever the task at hand was, I was forced to perform. And I would literally take a deep breath and say to myself, F it, and then just go, right? Well, when you begin to raise the stakes and you do that more and more and things become, um, you know, it's uh, the stakes are higher, uh, the tasks are more difficult, the competition is stiffer, that doesn't work so well. And so I've really had to go back in and work on different ways to to, um, prepare. So one of them is preparing because one way that people, um, deficits and imposter syndrome is that we tend to underprepare. It's called called self-handicapping, where that way we give ourselves an out mentally so that if we don't achieve, we can say, well, I really didn't try that hard because it really, really hurts to like give it your all and still fail, right? So I look and I'm like, okay, well, I know procrastination has been correlated or maybe tied to, maybe there's like correlation with that causation, but it's been tied to creativity. Okay, well, yeah, there's that part of it. But there's also this aspect of procrastination that kind of sets you up to self-handicap, right? So I've been working to prepare more. And that's something that actually Khabibi is very good at. And having been her friend and colleague now for many years, I've seen that she will start the preparation process earlier on, perhaps. And I tend to, I do get, I've gone, I go skydiving. I do like stuff like that. So, okay, there's a little bit of adrenaline drunkie there. So, but there's also the preparation. So it's like, you know, um, not being paralyzed by fear, pushing through that, um, preparing enough and giving yourself enough time in advance. And if there's a little procrastination, if it's not chronic, that's fine. So long as it's not uh, chronic. And I've really, really learned to not seek outside validation. 
And that always for me is a really good litmus. If I need a lot of outside validation for something, then it's probably not right for me. So I'd like to <laughs> pick up on that because um, it's interesting to me that she commented on my preparation, which is actually sometimes another strategy for hiding imposter syndrome is that you over prepare to avoid catastrophe that probably is not coming, but it's also can be a way which also can lead to overwork and burnout and basically going over things that you're not, you're not trusting yourself to know on the fly. Um, so there's like basically an internal questioning of your knowledge base all the time, which forces you to prepare well in advance to over prepare material, to prepare more than you actually need for the moment. Um, and so I have found that that's been the thing that I need to overcome and I have been working on is to take it a little more easy be, uh, because it does bring me a lot of extra anxiety and stress that I don't need to pay attention to my timing a little bit better because sometimes if I start too early, then I find out you don't even need to do all of that. Like you just spent three hours preparing for something that's not even the question or the task on the table. Um, or preparing yourself, let's say, for example, a meeting that has no agenda, but just a topic. And you spend all of this time pulling things together to try to prove that you have the right answers or the right input to be in the room, when in reality, it was just a casual brainstorm. Like we just wanted your top of mind thoughts. We didn't need your, your dissertation <laughs> of things to be prepared for this. And so I realized at some point, especially learning more about imposter syndrome, that's one of the triggers where I know uh, you're feeling some kind of way about what's coming next. And so when I relax, I know that I'm doing a much better job for self than when I'm overly prepared. So it's really about sort of the question you're asking yourself, right? Like, am I trying to avoid something by not preparing so that later I can compensate by giving some sort of excuse or, or am I trying to prepare so much so that I can not ask myself the question later, should I even be in this room? Do I know enough to be in this room? What are, um, what are some ways that you guys can talk about um, sort of like getting to the root of how to combat that then? Because you both approach imposter syndrome from two different vantage points. So what do you, how do you counsel women who might be feeling this if they're going into a job interview or a meeting? Um, is it really just asking those questions to get at what they're thinking? So, so what I found is, um, yes, it is about the questions that you have about your own abilities. And so some of it stems more from how proactive are we about building ourselves up? And I do think that a healthy mentality, a healthy personality and display of personality requires some responsibility to self to consistently build yourself up from the inside out. So whether that's affirmations, acknowledging when you have done something well, um, acknowledging even when something doesn't go right, what what about it went well? And then what did you learn? Having more of a, you know, a positive mentality about your own abilities can help you to counteract some of those strategies that you might use that are more imposter syndrome based. Um, what do you think, Melissa? 
I, you know, I, I think you're totally right. And I think um, the self-talk is really important. And Shelby, you really prompted that with what questions do you ask yourself? And it's interesting because in research studies, it's been found that when it comes to self-talk, speaking to yourself in the third person instead of the first person is more effective. So instead of saying, um, I've got this, you say, girl, Melissa, you got this, like, or whatever it is, like you speak to yourself as if yourself is another person. So you've got that little good angel there with boxing gloves on probably and like a kickboxing bag. And, you know, and, and, and that's the voice that you use. So that's very, that's um, helpful. And I find I talk to myself a lot under my breath. I started it when I lived in New York on the subway to keep people away, but now I just do it. <laughs> but but you know that how you you know talking to yourself in the third person and then also you know i was thinking about when i was thinking about this i am looking at our panel and we're all part of the coaching champions group and so this is really interesting to me with the, a lot of the people that i've been able to coach thus far a lot of high performers right and what i've learned just anecdotally is when i talk to them about the car you know, celebrate, acknowledge, reward. They look at me like I'm out of my mind, like I am crazy. Well, then, interestingly enough, it turns out that ambition and achievement do not mitigate imposter syndrome. Very often, they heighten it because you're so quick to be on to what's next, what's next. And so it's been really great about me coaching them about you've got to celebrate, you've got to acknowledge, you've got to reward is seeing how I do not do that for myself. And you get to see yourself, you know, like these patterns in yourself where you're always on to what's next, which is a great gift in terms of fueling your fire. But at the same time, if you're not pausing to celebrate, acknowledge, reward, to put that fuel in your engine, it does lead to burnout. It does turn into something that goes from like being these healthy doubts where you that keep you from resting on your laurels to turning into something that can be very um, destructive, like imposter syndrome. I absolutely agree with that. In fact, that was one of the things um, that I found in my research that the lack of celebration or that moving on to the next is uh, extremely bad for a person's well-being because you never take that moment to pause and just acknowledge what went well, um, pat yourself on the back, and even take a breather before moving into the next project so that you have more energy for that next one. Those are all really strategies that lead to burnout and don't um, and perpetuate more imposter syndrome. And, and one other thing, this exercise that works really well in my experience is that if you compare your today self to your five-year-ago self and ask your five-year-ago self, what do you think of what you've done so far? You'll probably, my guess is, be very pleased at what your five you know, years ago self would say, like, wow, you did that. I thought you were crazy when you wrote that down on your, your manifestation list or you know, whatever it was. And, and it's a really fun, you know, so many of these exercises seem so corny, but they, they work. Yeah, I think that's the thing um, about, you, you referenced coaching, um, Melissa, and that 
A lot of the, I agree. I think, um, you know, when we talk about this celebrate, reward, and acknowledge that it's, it's, it's not necessarily part of, uh, the way that we go about work. I mean, I just think about, if we think about projects here at Herman Miller, it's like on to the next, right? Like what's, what's coming next on the pipeline. So being able to take that, those times and really reflect and, um, think about what is it that did go well and take those learnings so that you can apply them other, other places, but it's being intentional. And I think there's a lot about intentionality when it comes to coaching, but being intentional about recognizing yourself, your team, like what did go well. And I think there's also this piece about like, what do you want to do differently in the future as you, as you move forward um, to help gain that confidence of I've already been here. I've done it. Yes, it's tough, but I learned a lot so that I can, can move forward. Um, but I, as I think about that and reflect on something we touched on earlier, so we have all these great lessons, yet we still see women, especially in higher level positions, who can't shake this feeling of being an imposter. Any comments on why that might be or what, where we're headed? Maybe we'll start with you. So um, what I know about imposter syndrome is that one part of it is individual habits, behavior, and your responsibility to self to kind of stop whatever thinking lends to that direction. But also organizational systems do have a lot to do with the way that especially underrepresented parties see themselves. So women in the workplace, if you don't see a lot of women leaders around, it's going to be very easy for you to in your mind, justify that you won't be able to get there either. And so representation really matters in that being able to see someone who's achieved the things that you want to accomplish in life, even the things that you don't even think are possible for yourself, it matters a lot because it's, you know, we start that as ch- as children, um, figuring out what, did, what do we want to do in life? And we look to what's around us. And there are many studies that show that What's around you is what you tend to gravitate towards, whether it's a talent of yours, it's just about exposure. Yeah, I would agree with that with the organizational um, structures. And, you know, I think if we think, if we extrapolate that to just social constructs, I think that we categorize even the ways that we categorize achievements in ways that are so unnecessary, like, um, uh, best female doctor. Do we, we never say best male doctor. Do we give an award for best male doctor? You know, it's like, so, and and then you can just take from there again and extrapolate, like put in any group, any group. And then you wonder why, where we have these these schisms as a you know societally almost like a, a a social collective identity and we're just schizophrenic because there's like well who's whose paradigm or who are we living in or by which rubric are we being judged if we're all mds and we're all going to medical school and we're all getting the same training why is nothing called out for the men, but it's called out for all of these different groups? So then it, de- so it kind of lends itself to feeling like an imposter if you're not of the group that goes without saying, right? And maybe there, you know, for a variety of reasons that we could get into on other podcast discussions, 
maybe there's room for that. But I wonder, you know, how much of that has been healthy to our identities, you know, deeply when we're constantly saying, well, you're good for a girl to bring it back to women, basically. Oh, you did great for a girl. You're a fantastic CEO for a girl. You know, it's, it kind of lends itself to that. Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting point, Melissa. And I think it, as I as you were talking, I was thinking about um, as we return to the office, which I know you you both are remote workers, so a little bit different. But for those that have an office to go into, and I assume you guys are going into showrooms and dealers and in some capacity. But as we're, we're returning to the office, it's definitely something to be considering um, in this crazy world that we've been in in the last the last year that. Um, we've seen research that women are the ones that are not as eager to return to the office. Um, a lot of that has to do with maybe responsibilities at home or whatever that may be. So how do we continue to, um, make sure to your point about seeing what's around you, that if the women aren't physically in the office, how do we not increase that disparity for leadership roles, for opportunities, because, the person sitting next to you is right there. So you, as a leader, you may say, oh, can you take this project? So thinking through as we return to office, just um, I think there's ways to do it. We've, we've done this virtual world, but it's being conscious about it, especially if you're leading people, that you're not just connecting with that person because you happen to see them in the office and you're really thinking about your your whole team and the opportunities Um that are there. Being remote workers, um, do you have you experienced any of that where you feel like you're missing something by not not being in the in office per se? I would definitely say that uh, the first few years here at Herman Miller, which was the first time I've ever been in a field sales position or field position where I was disconnected from the home office. Um, there has been a disconnect to like how large this company is, how many people work within it, um, how many different departments and exposures could I have because it just seems like there's just this one little world that I operate in here. So I think that in the future, you know, leaders are, it's going to be a really difficult shift to start to think about not just who's in front of you, but holistically about the whole group and maybe, um, you know, my thought would be like a focusing on strengths would be a good area to start rather than thinking about people and who I see, but who has the strengths to pull off the things that this department or this group needs to accomplish. Um, and then once you're thinking about a person's strengths, it's a lot less um, easy to dismiss their presence because you are really calling on their talents, not just you know, the fact that they eat lunch with you in the break room or that you guys take breaks together or share jokes but you're really more focused on their professional attributes and, um, you know, the value that they bring to the organization. Yeah, I would agree with Khabibi on that because um, for me, it was the same experience when I came into Herman Miller um, just a little over five years ago was working at a company where the home office was away and seeing you know, a, a contrast actually too, as to what the company, how the company operated at home base compared to out in the fields. 
and then the kinds of concessions that were given to one group, um, uh, you know, versus another group, you know, what that looked like. And so it, I think that for people in the field, I'm going to go out on a limb and say for probably a good number of people in the field, they've felt this remote feeling for a long time, you know, uh, far before the pandemic and perhaps uh, everyone being home kind of <laughs> equal the playing field to some degree because then people at main site got to see what it feels like to be. And so maybe... I'm looking for a silver lining in this fact that it's just occurring to me, maybe in some ways it's created um, a common, um, a common language uh, amongst us. And so the trick now will be as we come back in, um, you know, navigating what, what that looks like for people and not just from the procedural point of view, but from the very uh, personal, you know, I think it's important that it be purposeful and not just, well, this is the process, um, but that there's, a, you know, a stated um, thoughtful purpose behind it that's well communicated. As I look at some of our um, different populations, I think you two have a, a unique role in that you're remote, not unique to the past year, to your point, but in general, I... I often think of the population I'm most a part of, which is our operations folks who feel remote when it comes to opportunity on the um, on the office side or the um, you know non hourly professional side. What are some lessons you've learned about having some presence that you can share that do connect you back? And so, as you look at people going back into the office. Um, how, how will you stay connected and what kind of advice can you give to have some sort of presence, even working through imposter syndrome, that you can offer someone? So I started doing something recently just as a part of my uh, PD work, which is just meeting more people within the organization um, and sharing with my work team lead that this year I have really learned how many different departments I don't have touch points to and not that I need to have those touch points for my job to accomplish that, but it's nice to know, uh, you know, all of these initiatives that come out. Nice to know some of the people inside and to be able to talk to them about what they're passionate about with their work so that when I'm out in the field talking to strangers who don't know our business, but maybe they pick up on something like, you know, what's your company doing with um, its DEI? That I have actually spoken to someone who's responsible for that work and I get their perception of how it started, what their objectives are versus just reading, you know, what is published publicly for the company to um, dive into. And so I started with one person and then every time I meet someone, I ask them, give me two to three people that I should also meet um, that you think it would be good for me to have connection with. And so now it's become kind of a fun game of just you know, who will I meet and what will I learn about the way this company runs um, on a, in a way that's more conversational and more about making connection and friends than, you know, asking for anything or, you know, needing something from them. And maybe one day I will need something from them and we will already have some groundwork laid. You know, it won't be a ghost call um, from out of the blue. So Kabibi, when you talk to those people, how do you sort of approach having coffee with the people. <laughs> I, 
I air quoted, no one can see I air quoted, but coffee, <laughs> setting up a meeting. Um, I usually send them an email. So if they've been referred and the person is not giving me an intro, so I'll ask for an intro and that person will refer me in and then we'll set something up. And I think that's the best way to do it is, you know, by connection. But if I don't know them and they don't know me, I just write them an email saying, hey, you know, I'm just trying to get to know more people within our organization. Your name has come up several times as someone great to meet um, because of whatever it is I know about them, your knowledge base about the company, uh, your tenure here, what it is that you do. Would you be open to a 15 minute introduction? And so far, I've only done two of them, but they've all turned into a second call because 15 minutes is not enough time to really dive in. It's only enough time to know, do I want to talk to you again? And <laughs> then we schedule a deeper call um, to catch up later on. But I, I, I like that. It's very, um, you know, people's schedules are busy, so it's very non-intrusive. And it's really more about, you know, if we have something that we click on personality-wise that we want to carry the conversation further, we will. And otherwise, it was nice to meet you. And, you know, now you know what I do and I know what you do. <laughs> yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, you know, I do something similar um, to Khabibi in that I, I've always put a lot of stock in just personal Hey, like I just, whether it's from a, a red light where I text people, Hey, just thinking of you and whether, and I'll do that for people I work with or people that I'm friends with. Um, I'll do the same in email thinking about you. Um, this is what's going on with me. Hope all is well with you and leave it open for them to reach out, but not, not put any pressure on them to respond just because people are busy or this, that, and the other. I don't want to add to a to-do list. It's more of a like, whether we, whatever our connection, whatever facilitated our connection, I'm, I'm happy to be connected to you. And so it's just my way of maintaining that. And whenever I meet someone new, I always make it a point to continue that. And it's really helped my network grow um, within the company and also outside of the company. Like sometimes you end up like taking LinkedIn off into it ends up coming, you know, um, off of the LinkedIn box into a mailbox into a text box, you know, and all of those things are, are really valuable. And I think that's probably the salesperson in me too, who's always thinking in terms of what that network connection is. And that's just great for the company, you know? Yeah, we talk a lot about networks. I think we've talked about it a couple of times on these podcasts because they are so impactful and and helpful um, in making those connections, as you mentioned. But I think also, as we think back to like imposter syndrome, a little bit of that um, connection of hearing people talk. We, we hear a lot like mentorships turn into the mentor, getting just as much out of it as the, the mentee. And some of it is these conversations, like to, to Shelby's point uh, earlier in her example, talking to the person that brought her into the company and learning that she was feeling this way too. And Shelby shared, a, shared that great video. Um, and I think the thing that was about this network is being able to talk to other people about what you're feeling about. And you've got to build that relationship, right? Like you're not going to just randomly meet someone and probably spur into this conversation. But as you build that network and have those deeper relationships, you can have those conversations with people. And I think that's something like when Shelby and I thought about this topic, it's really bringing that awareness 
to you're not the only one. You're not the only one thinking about this um, and feeling this way and being able to um, share within your network that this is something that you're feeling is one of the best ways to get yourself out of that that headspace and, and really, really move on. Thoughts on how that you can connect more? Maybe? Yeah. I just, you're, you're, everyone's feeling this way prompted for me that they say 86% of people feel imposter syndrome. And I say the other 24% are not telling the truth. Liars. Yeah. I agree. You know, and I was thinking too, Erica, when you're talking about you, you're probably not going to go that deep. I, I, you'd be surprised how deep strangers will go with you. That's true. You'd be very surprised. And it doesn't, and I think sometimes we think about we think about going deep, we attach it to this kind of your darkest secrets and desires, or, you know, it has to be this long drawn out conversation, or it's literally just connecting human to human. And I would, I would um, challenge listeners to next time they're feeling, you know, doubts, if they're with someone, and obviously there's got to be a certain level of safety, but you know, if they express that to someone like in a casual way, and you'd be surprised how many people look at you very sincerely and go, Oh my God, I know exactly what you mean. It might be the friggin' barista at Starbucks. And, you know, and that's all it takes. It only takes just like that moment of human recognition. I got you, I get you, and you got this. Like it just takes that moment. Um, and I've had so many of those moments. I think it helps again that I talk under my breath and people maybe think I'm talking to them, but I I would definitely encourage people listening to give it a try. Sometimes it's easier to talk to a stranger about your deepest, darkest, you know, or, or whatever. Um, it makes you less vulnerable because to your point, you won't get hurt later or you won't be judged later by someone who is in your kind of sphere of career or whatever. Yeah, I was thinking too. So if you don't have that person in, in your life or you're, you're thinking you don't, um, you're not comfortable sharing, because um, this is a really personal thing sometimes for, for um, people. Um, I've never felt that way before. Like, I don't want to tell anybody that I'm necessarily feeling this way. So since we are all coaches, I'm going to plug the coaching program because you can get on there and find a peer coach and be able to have those conversations. They're completely confidential. Nothing will be shared with your work team leader. It's just between you and your coach. And you can talk through this um, and be able to, um, I think, figure out what those areas of maybe development that you want to focus on that are um, maybe not causing, but having you think some of these thoughts of, um, I can't, or I'm not, I'm not good enough. So building some of those skills to say, you've got this. And to, to the point earlier about building in that recognition time of acknowledging the hard work that you are putting in. Um, cause again, we've seen, we see this across the scope. I think the other thing as you were talking, Melissa is, um, I think about this outside of work as well. So we've talked a lot about the work environment, um, but there's other areas, whether that's a hobby, a volunteer aspect. I think about it a lot with parenting um, into your comment about those 
um, times I know my, when my kids are melting down, that's when I'm like having those thoughts. Right. And so those kind words that people have said in the times where my kids are disasters, um, it's <laughs> yeah. super helpful. Just that yeah. quick comment. So it's also something to think about as you see people, um, I think parenting is the easy one, but there's all sorts of situations where you may see somebody struggling in that moment and saying, like, you got this and mm-hmm. building up people can be so, so helpful. Just those couple words. So we've talked a lot about a lot of different aspects of imposter syndrome today. So as we close out this episode, we'd love to hear just your thoughts on imposter syndrome, anything, recap on anything that's been helpful for you, um, and any suggestions that you may have for somebody who's feeling this way and um, techniques that they can use as they move forward. Melissa, let's start with you. I would say just... It's important to remember that everyone has doubts and it's actually quite healthy and helpful to have them to some degree. It's all about how you manage them. So what I would encourage people to do is to, um, it's, it's something that Carol Dweck in her growth book about growth and fixed mindset talks about. And I kind of made it into a sandwich. I think I mashed up a few of her exercises. I don't remember, but basically achieve the goal, celebrate or acknowledge it. And it doesn't have to be a big deal. It could just be an acknowledgement to yourself, you know? Um, and, and it's fun though, to celebrate with other people and then reflect on it, you know? So that's like the cheese. You've got your bread, your meat, your cheese. Um, and, uh, reflect like what that means to you and do that quietly and alone. Um, and then immediately put on that last piece of bread, which is what's the next goal. Because where that differentiates you from just being like achievement, achievement, achievement is that you are taking that beat to acknowledge and put some meaning and purpose behind what you've done, nicely close it out and then move on to the next. So you're building like almost in a stair step way instead of like scrambling up this slippery slope that at any point you just lose steam and you can just go sliding back down. Great. Thanks, Melissa. Kabibi, what about for you? So I would say um, my best friend and I kind of came across this topic recently at the same time. We both recognized that we had it and we started talking about it. And I, um, we both started doing a podcast, so a little course on Insight Timer, which is a free meditation app by Dr. Adia Goodman on imposter syndrome. It's really short, 15 minute course, you know, modules, and she kind of breaks down what the phenomenon is and how to counteract that within yourself. Um, so I think that tackling it with some education always helps, but then there's the support network that helps you in real time. So, you know, if I'm having a moment and I text Melissa or I call her and be like, hey, you know, having these thoughts, I know that they're not valid, but I need to kind of talk through them to remember that they're not valid. Um, So having a support network that understands what's going on in your brain and knows your accomplishments and can repeat with you or back to you how freaking awesome you are (laughs) really just pumps you up um, and prepares you to to face whatever it is that you're going to face next. 
Yeah, that's great. I think the support network is so key, mm. whether it's um, like Era's pro, Erica's promo a couple times, coaching champion, where you can just go to someone and kind of have that, um, have that conversation, whether it's a mentor that you have or a friend. Um, and, and I think I'd just put in a plug. If you don't have a support network here at Herman Miller, there are people that want to be a friend and want to help. So whether you go to coaching champions or you join um, one of our groups, I would say uh, I, we always want people to join the gender equity group. Um, this mm-hmm. podcast is a part of that group, but that's where I've been able to find a good support network like Erica, who I never would have met otherwise. Um, I think there are ways that you can connect and certainly Erica and I are resources to help people connect as well. But there's a lot of resources online. We'll link you to a video um, that even talks a little bit about imposter syndrome and some of the books that you can read um, about it. Khabibi, I think it's great to get educated about what it is and then how you can combat it, the questions you can ask the people you can reach out to. So thank you so much, Melissa, Khabibi. I know you guys are very busy. We're so excited that you joined us. And um, I think at one point, Melissa said, we need to talk about something in a future podcast. So it felt like they were volunteering to join us again, (laughs) Erica. So I think we should make it a, we'll do a regular, regular stint with them. But thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know that our listeners really appreciate it as well. Thank you for inviting me um, and inviting us. I don't want to speak for Khabibi, but this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate it. Khabibi was on mute, but she said, thank you for inviting us too. (laughs) Thank you for listening to today's Windows Into podcast, sponsored by the Gender Equity Team. For more information on this equity team, find our page on the DE&I SharePoint page. Get with us and grow without boundaries.